I want to say welcome to you. My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here. I want to thank you for being here with us this morning, especially if you're visiting today. Thank you for that. Uh, as you're being seated or making your way to your seat, if you're already there, uh, Ephesians 2 is where we'll be today. So I ask that you open your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to continue our series on worship. What Specifically, we're answering the question, what happens when we worship? And uh, so week one, uh, just kind of by way of recap, we talked about how you are created to worship. You are a worshiper by your very identity, and you are worshiping something always. We got into that a little bit more uh, in week two, but in week one, what we were establishing is that worshiping God His way, worshiping God His way is the most important thing you will ever do. And then in week two, we built on that, and we said that you become what you behold, and this is a biblical principle taken from 2 Corinthians. We saw there in chapter 3 uh, that as we are beholding the image of the glory of Christ, we are becoming transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And so you are becoming what you behold. We looked at how Israel and their idol worship was becoming like their idols. And so it's true that you also become uh, like Christ, as you behold Christ in worship. So whatever you're worshiping, as one who is created to worship, you're becoming like that thing. And so you become what you behold. We say God forms and shapes you as you behold the glory of Christ in corporate worship. Today, we're going to build on that just a little further and explain why we become what we behold in corporate worship just a little bit further. And what happens in corporate worship is that we meet with God. When we come together on Sunday mornings, we are meeting with God. I want to explain that to you. That might sound a little crazy, a little cuckoo on the front end, uh, but I want to explain to you how what's happening uh, by the Spirit of God is that we're actually meeting with God when we come together in worship. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It'll be on the screen here behind me, so you'll have a minute to write it. But in corporate worship, we meet with God in heavenly worship by the Spirit. In corporate worship, we meet with God in heavenly worship by the Spirit. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is going to be a, really a springboard into some other texts as well. But Ephesians 2 is explaining to us what's happened in us and, and what's being done among us as we worship the Lord or as we're expressing faith in Christ. And so if you would, would you stand now as we read Ephesians 2? I'm going to start in verse 17 and just read through verse 22. So uh, just a few verses here today. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by Spirit. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for this time we have now in corporate worship together. We thank you, Lord, um, that in this passage, what we're reading is that we who were once far off, we who were once uh, far away from Christ, not walking in faith, we who walked in our own wisdom, our own instruction, who were, uh, as earlier in Ephesians 2 we read, we were uh, dead in our trespasses and sin, that, Lord, you came and preached peace. In other words, there was a way to reconciliation by belief in your death and resurrection, Christ, and that by faith in you, we are reconciled to God. We have peace with God. And as we see here in this passage, there was now peace between Jews and Gentiles, uh, that they were able to come together as Christians in the church and worship you as one body. And so, Lord, we join with them today as men and women who were once far off, boys and girls who once went their own way. Father, we come today to worship Christ by the power of the Spirit at work in us, that in Him, in Christ, we are being built together into a dwelling place for you, Father, by the Spirit. It's a fully Trinitarian work, and it's a mystery in some ways to us, but we praise you that the truth stands, that as we gather today, we meet with you. Lord, would you transform our hearts as we look into your perfect word today? Would you increase our love for you? Would you deepen our knowledge of you? Would you strengthen our wisdom, Lord, that we might walk uh, as one who is wise in these days? We love you. We thank you for the power of your spirit at work in us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Man, you may, may be seated. There was a, a time not too long ago, and I, I briefly mentioned this last week, where uh, COVID, uh, the, the initial impact of COVID was to, to shut down all things, right? For everyone to, to shelter in place and to uh, hide themselves from the world so that you didn't get this sickness that was going to wipe out, you know, half the world's population in a Thanos-style execution, right? I mean, it was, it, it was quite daunting what we were faced with, and really, church leaders had no idea what they were looking at, and, and it was a really difficult decision, but we too closed our doors for uh, five weeks. And in those five weeks, we did video services. Uh, we, I still regret this to this day, but how could you know, right? We didn't meet, we didn't gather for Easter. We did Easter in our homes, watching a TV screen in our pajamas, most of us. Um, and, uh, and I just can't imagine going back to those things. And coming out of it, we said we'd never do that again. You know, we would never close the doors again. But one of the things I remember people saying so frequently after we began to gather again, even as we were doing parking lot services for a while, uh, is that I've missed this. And others saying, uh, many saying, there's just something about gathering with others to worship God that isn't the same as being in my house. And it's true. There's really something supernatural taking place when you gather with believers for corporate worship. And that's what we missed, many of us unbeknownst to ourselves. We're missing the supernatural element of gathering with believers, meeting with God, in corporate worship. So these statements are not just simply true because they're about strong emotional feelings or tight bonds with other believers. Those things are certainly not absent. That's part of it. 
You're being knit together with brothers and sisters to worship the Lord with one another, to strengthen one another. So there's real bonds here. I mean, it's, uh, many of us know the, know the, the truth that uh, you're closer to church family than you are your own blood kin sometimes. You just have more in common, right? Especially if your blood kin is not saved. <clears throat> They're not believers, right? There's, there's more in common with believers. And so those things are true. There are feelings, there are tight bonds that are present among us. But something deeper is taking place in corporate worship. We, we meet with God when we come together on His appointed day and worship Him in the ways that He has instructed us. And so Sunday worship might seem mundane at first glance. It might seem like one of those things that you could either take or leave at first glance. But when you taste and see the glory of the Lord alongside the saints of God, and you understand that you are being transformed, and you see the transformative nature of coming together week in and week out, you understand that God is there, that something supernatural is happening. And so as we said last week, we become what we behold, and in corporate worship, what we're beholding is God Himself. We're beholding God because God is here with us. <clears throat> in fact, if we were coming together and not meeting with God, if we were coming together and God's not present, then, then all of this would really be quite pointless. We, we may as well stay in our homes and watch a service online. We may as well not worry about gathering. We may as well spend our weekends at the lake or in the deer stand or doing whatever else your favorite hobby may or may not be, if that were the case. But it's not. What's happening is that God is gathering with us in corporate worship. That in corporate worship, we are being equipped to be His image bearers. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, we are beholding God. And because we are beholding God, we are being transformed. God is using ordinary means of grace to perform extraordinary transformation in our lives. <clears throat> when I say ordinary means of grace, I'm talking about singing. As we sing together, as we pray, as we hear the word read, as we hear the word preached, as we celebrate baptisms, as we receive the Lord's Supper together, and we do all of that according to the instructions that God has granted to us in His Word, we are being transformed because in those things God meets with us. Now, some may argue that God is omnipresent, right? And I would not disagree. God is everywhere all the time. And His Spirit, so they may argue, well, His Spirit dwells within believers, and so believers ought to be able to meet with God at any time and any place. This is a particular popular thought in our culture, especially during the summer or during hunting season or baseball seasons or whatever, right? Some may say, I'm just as close to God on the lake or I'm just as close to God on the deer stand as I am in church on Sunday. Well, that. That's a really nice sounding thing to say, but it's unequivocally false. It's, it's blatantly false. It's untrue. I do believe in the omnipresence of God. 
I believe that God is everywhere at all times. But God does not promise to meet with believers everywhere at all times. He does not command believers to hike tall mountains or scale a tree stand or sunbathe on their favorite lake before He will meet with them. He has, however, commanded believers to not forsake the gathering of the saints, to not forsake the assembly of the saints. And in Acts 2, what we read after Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to their number that day, added to the church that day, they immediately, that happens in verse, you know, Acts 2, 1 through 41, and then in 42 you read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, to breaking of bread, and to fellowship with the saints. What happened? The church began to be the church. You, you see the church beginning its process of regularly meeting together. And just a few verses later, it says they gathered day by day in the temple and in homes with one another for those purposes. And so God's primary means, well, let me say this. You, you may encounter God during your private prayer. You, you may encounter Him through your private Scripture reading times. I hope that you do. You may encounter Him through group Bible studies. We've had many wonderful moments in group Bible studies around here. You may encounter Him in family worship, and I, again, I hope that you do. And, that, and those things are vital for your growth in the knowledge of the Lord. They're vital for your growth in the wisdom of God. They're part of your sanctification. So I'm not saying those things don't matter or that something isn't happening there. But God's primary means throughout Scripture for meeting with His people is with the gathered church. It's with the gathered people. And so in what's happening in weekly corporate worship is that we can be certain that we are meeting with God. This is supernatural because we're meeting with God. So you might find Him on occasion somewhere else, but if you want to meet with God regularly, you will find Him gathered with His people during weekly worship. Again, let me remind you of Ephesians 2, 17 through 22 and talk a little bit about what's taking place here. And He came and preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. So now He's talking about those who were far off were the Gentiles, those who were near were the Jews... And the peace that is being explained here is the same whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's faith in Christ brings peace with God. It's not going to be through your works as the Jews would have thought. It's not going to be through some other practices as Gentiles maybe would have thought. Uh, And at this time, Jews and Gentiles were often separated in worship. Jews were allowed to go into the innermost places of the temple. Gentiles had to sit outside and watch. There was a dividing wall called a wall of hostility that's set between the Jews and the Gentiles. And God removes this through Christ, that by faith in Christ, there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord, right? And by faith in Him, we're all coming together. And so for through Him, Paul writes, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you who are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So all these things that were written in, the apostles, or written in the prophets and now are being written in the apostles are a piece of this, but Christ is the cornerstone. These things are being built on Christ. They're supporting the truth that Christ is the one who unites all who believe in him together in one faith. These things are not meant to be at odds with one another. 
And then he says, in whom the whole structure, in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So Christ is the cornerstone. The prophets and the apostles and what they're writing are building on Christ as the cornerstone. And what's being erected is a temple for the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's he saying now to the church there at Ephesus? He's saying, you guys are being built together as a dwelling place. The Lord dwells in you. We just read this. Uh, we didn't read it, sorry. You would have just read this. Paul would have just, or the elders who were reading this to the church would have just read this in Ephesians 1, that by the Spirit you are now saved. You're sealed by the Spirit. You're secured by the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in you. And he says it's the same Spirit which raised Christ from the dead. And so now in Ephesians 2, he's explaining that that same spirit that you received upon belief is now what's uniting you together into a dwelling place for God. He resides with you. It's amazing. And so you have really incredible statements in just these few verses. We have access to the Father in one spirit. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Christ, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the truths of what Paul is writing about in Ephesians could be summed up in this way. God has called you out of darkness, and He brings you into His light. And He does this by the power of the Spirit through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You now have access to the Father. You are now being built into a household for God. The whole thing from beginning to end is becoming a holy temple in the Lord. In Christ, you are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's incredible. And so the reality of this work is seen most clearly in corporate worship. You see the temple coming into form on a local level. And so when we talk about the church, you can talk about the church at two levels, right? There's the church global, which would be like big C church, right? This is all the Christians across time, across the globe, right? This is the church of Christ. And then there's local expressions of the big C church, which would be just local congregations, which are small expressions of what's taking place on a global scale, right? Everybody follow that? So what we're doing in here is simply identifying us with Christ, right? We are those who are in Christ by faith, and in that, we're joining ourselves together with Christians across time and space, if you will, right? It's a transcendent family, and it it goes from the beginning of time with the faith of Adam to the end of time with whoever the final Christians on earth might be when Christ descends and establishes himself uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. And we all worship together as, uh, as one people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world. Amen? It'll be a beautiful reality. And what this is is just a local expression of that reality. You're sitting next to people, you're in home groups with people, you're in uh, biblical manhood or womanhood with, with people, you're in Sunday school with people, right? You, 
You, you worship on Sundays with people whom you might have no other thing in common with except the glorious truth that Christ has saved you from your sins and granted you new life. And by that mere fact, you worship. I think I've told this story before. It's been a while. But it's a, it's a wonderful little anecdote to talk about what we're, or to explain further what I mean. Uh, when I went to Brazil a few years ago, it's almost three years ago now, it's kind of hard to believe, time to go back. But when I went to Brazil a few years ago, we, we, we loaded up in a car, um, a little sedan, and uh, we were driving through what they call the bush. It's just, I mean, it's, it's logging roads in South Arkansas, right? You're driving down logging roads, essentially. And we're in this little four-door sedan, and the thing's just bottoming out and with every pothole and mud hole we hit. It was really incredible. And to top it all off, we're being led to the place that we're going by two guys on dirt bikes, <laughs> right? And we're following them in this little sedan, and we're just sliding everywhere. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. You're not supposed to mud ride in sedans, in case you didn't know, but we were. And so as we, we, we drive for 40 minutes at least, and we come to, I mean, it's just, it's pitch black. There's nothing all around you. It's like 9 p.m. at night. And we come, to, there's a light ahead. And we, we pull up to this place, and there's 70 plus men and women and boys and girls gathered under essentially what's a, like a, a light you would have outside your shop. And then there's a shop building there with the chairs that they use for the service. I don't even know how electricity was out there, to be honest. It may have been running off generator. I'm not sure. Um, and, and there's the shop building had chairs in it. It had some speakers, equipment. And they've set up church under this light with June bugs just absolutely murdering you while you're out there. I mean, it was, in, it was a slew of June bugs. And, and people have gathered to hear the word sang, to hear the word read and taught, uh, to encourage one another. We shared a meal of, you know, the sloppiest soup, mess, rice thing I've ever eaten in my life with coffee. Coffee goes with every meal in Brazil. And, and so we did that afterwards. But it was beautiful. And it was amazing. And in that way, not knowing even the words that were being sung, right? Recognizing tunes, because they're songs even that we're familiar with, some but not recognizing, not understanding, you know, trying to sing some of it in English, what I could remember. I was joined together with brothers and sisters in worship of God across tribe and tongue and nation, right? And, and the only way that happens is by the power of the Spirit of God, right? You, you show up in an assembly in a, in a Buddhist monastery or um, uh, a temple of Islam or something to that effect, Right? as a Christian, and you try to worship alongside those people, it's going to be foreign to you. It's going to be weird, and it's not going to work. Right? You're going to be out of place. But the Spirit of God unites believers together. The Spirit of God draws believers into worship with God on a spiritual level that, that even we can't comprehend very well in the moments that it's taking place. And, and so the reality of the work is seen in corporate worship. We see this happen before our eyes in corporate worship. You, you may encounter God other places. I'm not saying that you don't see, you know, encounter God as you're reading the Word at your, your coffee, your kitchen table in the mornings, or you're reading it with your children, or you have an interaction with a friend, or you have an interaction with your child as you're talking about the Lord together. I'm not saying you don't encounter God in those ways. Absolutely we do. But we don't build 
habits around random events. We don't form our habits for worship around random acts, seeking for that thing to be the thing that makes worship happen, right? We form our habits from the commands of God. We form our habits around what God has actually said for us to be doing so that we can be certain that we will fully and regularly encounter Him in worship. So in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to build a tabernacle. This was a place that was going to travel with them in their wilderness journeys. They were going to erect this tabernacle, a tent of meeting, if you will, and God was going to show up there, and He did often through the ministry of Moses and the Levite priest, God showed up. And there were, uh, there were sacrifices made, there was atonement made, there was washings that were done, there were, and the, the whole nine yards, right? Everything that needed to happen to meet with God, atone for sin, and all of that happened there. God met with His people there in the tent of meeting. Once the Israelites make it into the promised land, and uh, in the days of the kings, we read about uh, how this time of meeting moved to a temple. And so there was a temple built for God. And in the same way, there were sacrifices made, there were washings that were done, there was the, you know, you know, the the ark was present, the mercy seats there, all the same things, right? But now it dwells in the temple. The, The presence of God was there. And so they would regularly meet with God. They would see the glory of God through tabernacle worship, temple worship later on. And so the question becomes, and a lot of what churches are chasing today is is that same kind of Old Testament worship. And and the question is, does God still meet with his people? Does he still have a house, if you will? And we don't have pillars of smoke. We don't have washings. We don't have bloody sacrifices. Praise the Lord. These Old Testament forms of worship, however, foreshadow a better way for worship, a way that we now know. We we worship God free of tabernacles and temples because of the work of Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians 2, what we're reading and, and what Paul is teaching here is that we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit of God. But but how does that happen? And where does that happen? Jonathan Cruz outlines this pretty well in his book on worship, so I'm going to share a couple of things there that he mentions. First is this, how do we we meet with God? We meet with God through the blood of Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. How do we meet with God? We meet with God through the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, the book of Hebrews is all about correcting Christian worship, especially from Hebrews who had either already forsaken what Christian worship should look like or were being uh, led to forsake what Christian worship should look like. They were going back to their Old Testament Jewish roots, either by Judaizers who were present saying, we still need to do all these things. And so Hebrews is likely, not saying it is, but it's likely a sermon from Paul to the Hebrew people written by Luke saying, hey, no, here's what right worship looks like. And in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, we get this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, how do we do it? By the blood of Jesus. 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the washings and the blood sacrifice are the once and for all finished work of Christ. They're His work. He has washed forever those who put their faith in Him. He has sprinkled clean with His own blood those who put their faith in Him once and for all time. And so we draw near to God with a true heart now in full assurance, whereas in Jewish worship, you're drawing near with some assurance, right? Because you're trusting in the blood of bulls and goats. You're trusting in something that you're going to have to come back tomorrow and do again, and the next day, and the next day. And there was no end to this kind of blood sacrifice. But we get to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our faith is in the shed blood of Christ, that He has died for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we enter into worship with God. We meet with God by the blood of Christ. We're no longer looking to temple washings. We're no longer looking to just how spiritual, which this is what, <laughs> this is what people who are very legalistic are trying to do. Right? There's a difference between living holy lives as God has commanded. He's commanded us to be holy, and then, and then legalism. There's differences in this. The difference in legalism is that you think in legalism you're making yourself clean enough to come and worship God. And if for some reason you're not clean enough, you now draw near without full assurance. You draw near hoping, right? It's like a coin flip for you when you draw near to God in the assurance of your own legalistic moral, uh, moralism. But when you draw near to God in full assurance of faith in Christ, faith in His blood, which has washed you clean, you come near in total freedom from sin. You draw near with a heart that trusts Christ alone. And you're not trying to just clean yourself up or wash yourself real good before you show up. You're saying, I have come only by the blood of Christ. I sing these songs today because Christ has washed me. I sing these songs today because the blood of Christ has sprinkled me clean. I hear the word read. I hear the word preached. I proclaim the word today as someone who has been washed by the blood of Christ. I'm not coming to you in my own, uh, my, my, my lack of holiness, my own want to, to be moralistic, right? We don't draw near in those veins. And then we walk away as those who recognize we've been washed by the blood of Christ, so therefore let's go live lives that reflect that, which is what Paul is saying in Philippians 1, uh, 27, when he talks about living a life that is worthy of the manner of Christ or worthy of the gospel. Live in such a way that it's worthy of the gospel. You're showing Christ has saved me and I'm submitting myself to him. I'm following him. And so in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there had to be a sacrifice every single time someone would draw near to God. And even the priests who were making the sacrifices would have to make sacrifices for themselves. What a job, right? What a mess. But not anymore. Hebrews 9, 12, He entered, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing, don't miss this, thus securing an eternal redemption. How long does your redemption last? It's eternal, right? For all eternity. If your faith is in Christ, if your trust is in Christ, your redemption is eternal. By faith in the work of Christ on the cross, your eternal redemption is secured for you. You are purified for eternal worship forever. It's your belief in the good news of Jesus Christ that makes you even capable of worshiping. Brothers and sisters, we do not draw near to God by making a one-time pronouncement of faith. Rather, we draw near to God through a continual expressing of trust in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. We're trusting in Christ and His work for the forgiveness of our sins, not in ourselves, not in our own faith, not in our own ability, not in our own knowledge or wisdom. We're trusting in Christ alone. And so we come to God the Father through faith in God, by, uh, through faith in God the Son, by dependence on God the Spirit. I'll say it again because I, I got tongue-tied. We come to God through faith in God the Son by dependence on God the Spirit. So in corporate worship, again, I've put this before you at the very beginning. This is what we're talking about. In corporate worship, we meet with God in heavenly worship by the Spirit. So this answers my next question, really. Where do we meet with God? How do we meet with God? It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Where do we meet with God? In heaven. Now, you might expect me to say in this place. You, you might think it's in the local church. You might think it's in the building itself. But you're meeting with God in heaven. Let me explain. Hebrews 8, 1 through 2. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Everybody say true tent. True tent. That the Lord set up, not man. Again, at one time, the tent of meeting was on the earth, right? It, it was in tabernacles and temples. But now Christ dwells in the true tent, which is in heaven. And so real worship, the reality of worship, the reality of your spiritual worship each week is that it takes place in heaven. We meet with God in his heavenly sanctuary when we come together and worship. And so when we meet with God in corporate worship, the Spirit draws us into heavenly places. That's what it means by you're being built into a household of God by the Spirit. We're being drawn by the Spirit of God into heavenly places. We join the worship of heaven. Alan read it earlier, but Isaiah 6, the angels around the throne of God in the vision of Isaiah, what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. What are the angels doing? Worshiping, right? You, you and I, when we join in worship, we're joining in the eternal worship of God. This worship is not based on the fact that we're worshiping. We're merely just joining into worship that is always taking place. 
The worship of God never ceases. And you're drawn by the Spirit of God into heavenly places to join with the angels and the saints who are there to worship the Lord. In Hebrews 12, 18, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched. Again, these earthly sanctuaries, tabernacles and temples, those things may be touched. You can put your hand on them. You can walk through the doorways. But again, the writer here of Hebrews is saying, you've not come to what may be touched. That's how it was. This is what it is like now. He continues in verse 22, Hebrews 12, verse 22 and 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Wow. You've not come to what may be touched. You've not come to a chair. You've not come to a place that you can see and to touch doors as you walk into it. You've come to worship God. You've come to meet with God. And so you do. You join. Listen to what he says. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, just meaning the firstborn saints, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, those who are awaiting new bodies, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So this is where we meet with God, brothers and sisters. It's not here in this building, it's in heaven. We're drawn spiritually to meet with God in the heavenly Jerusalem. There we are with the angels and the saints in worship. There we are meeting with God through our mediator, Christ Jesus. Again, by faith in his blood, we've come through him to meet with God in heaven. And, and I know, like, this is difficult because we do not yet see it, right? We're not getting to peer into heaven as Isaiah did and to see the kind of worship we're joining into. Ours is a worship by faith, not by sight, which doesn't make it any less real at all. And it's not like a blind faith. Faith is not... Unbelievers like to equate faith to hopelessness. Right? Like, like, well, you can only believe that by faith, which is just kind of like, you know, saying abracadabra or something. Like, there, it's just a, it's a magic word that you guys use to be able to say that you believe something. You believe it by faith. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what faith is. Faith is not hopelessness. Faith is the hope of things yet unseen. Faith is the reality that those things exist and that what God has said is true. And so we come to God and worship in heaven by faith. We are joining with the angels in heaven in worship of our God by faith. We are joining with the angels through Christ in His blood by faith. We are beholding God and being transformed from one degree of glory to another by faith. 
in God. Amen? It's as sure as sure can be. In fact, it's a greater reality than things you can touch. It's a greater reality than things you might see. It's more sure. And so this is where we meet with God. We do not yet see it. We cannot yet touch it. It is spiritual, but it is real. And by faith in Christ, through the Spirit, we are drawn by the Father to worship Him in the heavenly places. Jesus teaches on this in John chapter 4. Jesus encounters on his journey, his disciples have gone away, uh, have left him. He comes to a well in Samaria, which is a group of uh, people who were outside of those Jews, right? They're they're uh, Gentile-like folks, and they are dogs, according to the Jews. They're just the worst of the worst. And Jesus encounters this woman from Samaria who's come to this well outside the city to draw water. And he has this interaction with her, and you can read it in John 4. I won't focus on the whole thing because there's a lot there, but he offers to her living water. And she doesn't really understand what he's saying because, well, if you were at the well and some man offered you living water, you probably wouldn't understand either, right? But he says, if you'll drink of this water that I'm offering you, you'll never thirst again. And then he says, the one who uh, offers the water is the Messiah. He's saying that he's the Messiah. And, And she mentions that she knows that his people, well, she first says that, that our people worship here on this mountain, but your people, talking about the Jews, say that real worship takes place in Jerusalem. It has to be there. And Jesus responds with this. He says, in John 4, 21, we read this. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And then two verses later, he says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You see, God's people don't have to worry about worshiping in a special place or on a particular mountain. You now participate in a heavenly worship that is spiritual worship. It's filled with, and it's dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit, not the place. In corporate worship, we meet with God in heavenly worship by the Spirit of God. And so I ask, do you want to meet with God? Yeah. If your faith is in Christ, then your answer is yes. I want to meet with God. Then go to worship. Go to worship. Don't go fishing or hunting. Don't go on vacation I don't mean that you can't ever do those things. That's not what I'm saying. That's legalism, right? Here we are back at that again. I'm not saying legalistic things today. I'm saying rather do not look to worship God in random places. Look to worship God where he has promised to meet you. God promises us that he will meet with us in the ordinary place of worship. Now, again, you might be sitting there saying, well, I thought you just said that it was in spirit and truth and that it wouldn't be on this mountain or that mountain And that's true. It's with the gathered saints according to the New Testament. 
It's with the gathered saints on the Lord's day, according to the New Testament. Again, right after, right, right after Christ is crucified and resurrected and Peter preaches a sermon, the, the men and women there who give their hearts to the Lord, who submit themselves to Christ, says about 3,000 added to that day, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread, fellowship of the saints, prayers. They're gathering together. And then throughout, throughout Acts, on the first day of the week, as the church was gathered, on the first day of the week when they gathered to break bread, on the first day of the week, Paul gets up and preaches. On the first day of the week, you see this phrase over and over again. The Old Testament Sabbath day was Saturday. The New Testament day of worship is the first day of the week. Why? Because that's the day that Christ rose from the grave on, the first day of the week. We read this at the end of nearly all the Gospels. On the first day of the week, the disciples rose and went to the tomb. Mary rose and went to the tomb. Right? And so we gather on the first day of the week. We do not neglect worshiping with the saints. The point is, it's not the building that's significant. It's not the people necessarily. It's not the, I shouldn't even say that. It's not the, the, it's not the performance from the people that's significant. It's none of those things. It's the fact that you're gathering with the Lord's people on the Lord's day to worship Him. It's why you can gather in the bush of Brazil and meet with God still. Amen? It's a spiritual thing. And so I don't mean that you can't miss a Sunday. I mean, don't miss Sunday saying, I'm as close to God doing X as I am meeting with Him with the Lord's people on Sunday morning. That's untrue. God promises us that He will meet with us in the ordinary place of worship. And there in the ordinary place of worship, he's going to use ordinary means of grace. Prayer, preaching of the word, singing, baptisms, the Lord's Supper, right? These things are how we experience the presence of God in corporate worship. And so we, it's mundane for a reason. It's ordinary for a reason. It's regular for a reason. Because your life, especially your life by faith in Christ, is mundane and ordinary. It's a daily waking up and going to God in prayer, in reading His Word, trusting in Christ all over again tomorrow, just as you did today. And so you come to worship God and to have that thing. I'll talk to you about this in a couple of weeks. But what's happening here is we're having that covenant renewed with us. We're being reminded of the work of God as we come together in regular worship. And so God uses regular means to transform our lives. And it's meant to be that way because your life is all about patterns and rhythms and habits. And the things that you do show the world what you behold. They show the world what you worship. And so your worship on Sundays is meant to fortify your heart and mind to continue in worship with God throughout the week. We need this reminder, as I talked about last week. We forget easily, quickly, the necessity of corporate worship and what's taking place here. And so if someone wishes to avoid the regular practice of corporate worship, 
we have to question their motivations. We have to question the heart for doing that. At the deepest level, you have to question what's going on in their heart. When a, when a Christian or someone who proclaims to be a Christian says, I don't need corporate worship. One of the questions that we have to ask is, do they truly want to hear God speak to them? Or are they merely clearing some space to better hear themselves speak? You'll find normally that the latter is true. They would rather hear themselves than to hear God. They would rather follow their own desires than to follow the desires of Christ. They would rather submit to themselves than submit to God. Again, this doesn't mean you shouldn't have your personal and family times of worship. Hopefully I've made that clear today. You should do those things regularly. Wake up in the morning, read your scripture, pray. Lead your kids in reading the word of God. Pray with them. Sing a song together. But those places are not the most special, sacred place to meet with God. And I will say this. If you make... If you're setting aside time in your home to to meet with God through Scripture reading and prayer or through some sort of family encouragement, whether it's prayer together at night before you go to bed or whatever, if you do that, but then on Sundays, worship is, it's just you can take it or leave it. You know, we got this ball game this weekend, we've got this uh, vacation, we've got this lake trip, we've got this thing, right? There's always something getting in the way of of corporate worship. And you are undoing in practice what you say you believe. And that practice is going to bear greater witness to your children than what you're saying with your mouth. It's why we have, praise God for the college students that are here today, but it's why we have college campuses full of people who grew up Christian who abandon the faith as soon as they get the chance. There's no substance there. Parents raised them to be moralistic people. Church was a part of the moralism. But there was nothing there about actually worshiping God and coming to Him and your necessity for the Lord. And so you can kind of take it or leave it. It's like, I can be moralistic apart from church. Absolutely, you can. There's a lot of moralistic people that don't go to church. That's, That's no bearing on whether or not you're truly saved or not. And so don't undo in practice what you're saying with your mouth, the message that you want to teach at home. Commit to the Lord's Day. Commit to being gathered with the saints on Sunday mornings. It's important, and it's spiritual, and you're being drawn together by the Spirit into worshiping God. And it's the most special, sacred place to meet with God. And praise God that He makes it possible for us to do this. God is going to use the small moments in your daily life. That's, there's no doubt about that to sanctify you. But the place where God forms us into a new people, the primary location of that sanctifying work is not the small moments of every day, rather it is the seemingly mundane but truly wonderful moment of corporate worship. That's a quote from Cruz. So brothers and sisters, we must strengthen our appreciation for corporate worship May we not be tossed to and fro by the world's mockery of corporate worship, by the world's mockery of our God. May our hearts and minds that have been made new by Christ 
continue to grow in godliness. Continue to grow in that understanding. And may we not heed the wisdom of the world, which is full of hearts and minds that have not been yet made new by Christ. And they therefore do not understand the necessity and the power of corporate worship. In fact, they are spiritually blind. The church is the bride of Christ. And in corporate worship, we are becoming one people by one spirit and one faith in Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God bonds us together, unites us in peace, so that we may strive together for the faith of the gospel. And in corporate worship, we meet with God. And He gives us His guidance through the preached word, through singing, through through singing Christ-centered songs, through praying prayers that are dependent upon Him. And baptism and the Lord's Supper are uh, administered in corporate worship only by the command of Christ. And so corporate worship is where we meet with God. This is one of the most amazing things about what happens when we come together on Sunday mornings. We meet with God in heavenly worship by the Spirit. And so I encourage you, Keep coming. (laughs) Keep coming. Keep seeking the Lord alongside us. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you, Lord, for your kindness toward us. Lord, that you have saved us. You have forgiven our sins because of the blood of Christ Jesus, your Son, whom you sent to die on that cross, to bear the wrath that was meant for us so that we might know you, Father, that we might be at peace with you. And Lord, as we come to worship, this is what we're coming to do. We're coming to to fellowship with you. We're coming to be sanctified by you. We're coming to have you minister to our hearts and minds as we're drawn by the Spirit of God into these heavenly places where we're joining in the eternal song of worship. The eternal conversation of worship. And Lord, it's it's hard for us to see it sometimes. It's hard for us to understand it. So Father, I just ask that you would deepen our affections for Christ. That you would strengthen, Lord, our desire to gather with the saints on the Lord's day and meet with you. Lord, it's an incredible gift that you've granted to us the opportunity to meet with you week in and week out through ordinary things like singing and preaching and praying and eating a dinner and and watching, watching someone go into the waters of baptism and come out. That all of these things, Father, all of those things are sanctifying us, the reminding us of Christ and His sacrifice. They're strengthening our hearts to continue the good fight of faith. They're deepening our faith. 
They're encouraging mutual love and affection among the saints of God. And there's probably so much more, Lord, that we don't even realize in the moments of what's taking place, of how you're working on us. And so we praise you for the gift of corporate worship. We praise you that you meet with us here each week. Heavenly Father, I do want to pray for anyone in here who doesn't, who doesn't know you as Savior, who has not submitted themselves to you, who has not repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus Christ, or anyone who's not called on your name to be saved. Lord, would you draw them to yourself by the power of your Spirit? Would you grant to them repentance and faith? Help them to turn from their sins, to turn in faith to Christ Jesus to be made new by your Spirit. Lord, it's a work that only you can do. And so we trust you for it. Lord, again, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.